0: hallelujah and honoring him we honor you we praise you we thank you for what you and only you are able to do hallelujah praise God in Jesus name we pray amen praise God Did you enjoy the kid choir tonight that was awesome praise God Uh, it's a thrill to watch our children read the scripture exhort and sing and musicians to help back them up I I must say um, that's been much, much progress. So let's give them a hand, everybody that's involved in that. Amen. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. We'll read verses 13, 14, 15, and 16 to start here tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 13. And not as Moses... Which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, When it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. I want to talk to you for a few moments tonight about the shine of importance. The shine of importance. Lord, we thank you and praise you. We thank you for your word. Strengthen us in the house of God tonight as we open your word and we allow it to be an authority to us and an encouragement to us. We honor you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. The shine of importance. There are some witnesses in the scripture. There are three major witnesses in the scripture in which there is a shining that takes place, and they are very, very important. They're very important theologically because they're based on them. They're major hinge points in a person's theological understanding, so I hope tonight that you will write that down, put it in your mind and in your heart, because you can, you can use these hinge points uh, as, as you discuss theology and the scripture and the word of God. And there are witnesses of significance where there is an illumination that takes place that's connected to a historical period, to a testament, to a time frame. Exodus chapter 34 is the first witness, verses 29 through 35. Came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount that Moses wist not, that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were afraid to come nigh him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him. And Moses talked with them. And afterward, the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13 that we read as our beginning text is referring to this passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. He put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. So an occurrence that takes place, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai. He has had a conversation with Yahweh, and he there receives all the structure instructions about the ceremonial system, about the elements of that system, the tabernacle, the materials that it would take, the furniture, what was to be done? And when Moses has that connection with God and God speaks to him, his word, when he comes before the people, he doesn't even realize it when he's coming down from the mountain, but his face is shining. This passage comes after the failure of the children of Israel to be patient and Moses hoping that he can intercede. They have gone awry and astray. They have worshipped a golden calf. Moses, the second time, speaks to God. He doesn't realize that his face is shining. And he comes down off the mountain, and it is obvious that he has been in the exalted presence of God. There is a glory that is illuminated in his face. He has witnessed great things of God. And coming down off of that mountain, there is no testimonial that is needed. He does not need to produce words. He is bearing the credentials on his face. And so there is a reflected glory that is given to him as an honor in front of all the people. And they realize this man has been with the Lord. Praise God. When you get in the presence of God and God's glory moves there should be an illumination of God's power and his ability that is reflected to other people that you have been in the presence of the Lord. Praise God. I'm thankful for God's anointing and his ability. I want the credentials of of the moving of God to be on my life. I want it to illuminate on my face. Praise God, don't go around with a frown on your face. You've got the Holy Ghost. And if the Holy Ghost is in you, there's an illumination that should come out of you. So here Moses is. The people were afraid to come near to him. There was a fear or a sense of guilt. And this is very Old Testament-like. God is so holy, and humanity is so carnal. And there is this broad gap in between those two existential beings. And there's always somebody that is a mediator between them. So the people, they don't want to come close. They're fearful of that. Thank God you don't have to be fearful of the anointing of God. Praise God. I'm thankful that is an old system. It's not the new system because the new system says you can come into the house of God and lift up your hands and lift up your voice. There is no obstruction. There's no middle wall of partition. There is no veiling. You can come right into the the presence of the Lord with boldness and with access, and you can worship God, and you can communicate with God, and there is nothing that stops you from doing that. Amen. He put a veil on his face. When he was talking to the Lord, he removed it, because when you're before the Lord, you have no need to veil yourself. But when he returns to the people, He replaces it, and this is illustrative of the fact that that old system had a dark and shadowy character of that dispensation, and so Moses comes off the mountain. His face is illuminated. The people are fearful of this. His face is shining, and the anointing of God has touched him, attached to Moses' face in this significant event is that God is speaking to him. The word of God brings illumination and light to him. He has been in a moment and a time with the lord and god's word is speaking to him and it produces an action in his life that brings forth an, an illumination and a light it's connected to the word of god and so in this instance in the old testament there is a connection to that old testament law but beyond that old testament law it's connected to the scripture it's connected to the authority of the word it's connected to the word of God because it's through the word of God and the scriptures that we obtain our hope, our standing, our ability. It's the fuel that allows us to move forward. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 says, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience, everyone say patience, Patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. It's the Word of God that brings hope to us. When the Word of God is read, when the Word of God is spoken, when there's an exhortation, when there is a teaching, when there is a preaching, it brings to us hope. Without the Word of God, we would have no basis for what we are doing. But we're in the house of God here tonight, and everything that we are doing is based on the Word of God. You need the Word. Word of God, I need the Word of God. I need the foolishness of preaching. I need teaching and doctrine in my life to establish me in the house of God. I need it for my spiritual life. I need it for my discipleship. I need it to take ownership of what I'm doing. I need it to understand the big picture. The Word of God brings hope. The Scripture is powerful. The Scripture brings illumination. The, spr- the Scripture brings Light in a world that is full of darkness. Thank God for the Word. I'm not ashamed of the Word of God, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. You need the Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, Paul is speaking to Timothy, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Timothy, these holy scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith. It's the word of God that makes you wise and brings wisdom to you so that you can understand what salvation is. If you don't have the word of God, you don't understand that. But if you've got the word of God, you understand what salvation is because it is derived from the scripture. The scripture is the basis for everything that we do. The scripture is the foundation. It's not based on philosophy. It's not based on someone's opinion. It's based on the scripture. What does thus saith the word of the Lord? That's what I want to build my life on. That's the foundation that I'm establishing in my life. We're not just arbitrarily doing whatever we feel like. It's based on the Scripture. And the Scripture should bring illumination and light. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other Scriptures unto their own destruction." Some people are not going to follow the scripture. Some people are going to change it, alter it, do a lot of different things with it, say that it's an opinion, and change a lot of the interpretation in it. And Peter is addressing that. Some are going to reject it. But I want to testify to you tonight and tell you I'm so very thankful that I have accepted the scripture into my life because it has been a value. It is a treasure in my life. And without the scripture, there's no foundation. There's no underpinnings. There's nothing that you're standing on. But it's through the word of God that is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword that pierces into the internal parts of of the makeup of humanity and speaks directly to our situation. We need the Word. We need the Word. It should not be distorted or changed. It is to be read publicly. It is to be meditated upon. It is the test of orthodoxy, whether something is right or not. It is the basis for preaching. It sets the limits of authoritative doctrine. It is the gospel, and that's the word of God. It leads to numerical and spiritual growth within the church. And Paul stressed that the preach word is not merely a verbal message but it's a dynamic power which achieves things. The word of God does not return void. When it goes out, it's not just the words that I'm speaking, but attached to it are actions of power and authority. The word of God puts a boldness. The word of God puts a power and a strength, and there should be a growth because of it. Acts chapter 6 and verse number 7, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples Disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. It was the Word of God that increased, and there were numbers associated with that increasing ability to focus on the Word of God. Acts chapter 12, verse 24. But the Word of God grew. Everyone say, grew the word of God grew and multiplied. Acts 13, 49, and the word of God was published throughout all the region. What was the early church doing? They were going out and they were establishing the word of God, the word of truth. There was a lot of stuff out there. The word of truth became something that was established. Acts chapter 19 and verse number 20, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed, the word of God prevails. You get yourself in situations, you need to start speaking the word of God. This is the word of God, it's power, it's authoritative, and I have the ability to bind and loose based on the scripture. So I'm going to speak the word of God into the elements of confusion and difficulty. Colossians chapter one and verse number five, for the hope, Which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day you heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. The word of God brings fruit the Word of God produces something there is a power in it and so Moses in this passage of Scripture where he's coming down from Mount Sinai he's carrying the instructions or the Word of God and there is an illumination he becomes the first witness of the illumination and the shining of importance the shining of importance in Moses illustration is that the Word of God is what is powerful Amen. Without the word of God, there is no illumination. Praise God. Is anybody thankful that you got something that you're standing on? It's not sand. It's not a shifting foundation, but it is a strong foundation. Therefore, this is why the word of God is so very, very important in our lives. It is why we read every service, the word of God, because by itself, We don't ask people that get up here to scream it and yell it. We want them to read with feeling and inspiration and emotion, and we want them to do it in a way that is conducive so that it comes forth, not boring and watered down, so there should be some feeling connected to it, but by itself it is powerful. This is why sometimes I jump up and start clapping my hands. Why would you do that? Because the word of God is powerful. Just the spoken word of God resonates and brings power within it. Thank God that every service, somebody gets up here and just reads the Scripture. They're not preaching the Scripture. They're not teaching the Scripture. They're not exhorting the Scripture. We're just saying the Scripture is powerful in and of itself. You know what that means? They may be reading it from here to you out there, but you can take it home and read from wherever you are in whatever situation you are in, and there is a power that is associated with that praise God start speaking the word there's power in it and Moses is that first witness beginning at the ceremonial law and then all through the Old Testament he is the primary witness of illumination as it pertains to God's word he's the first witness And his witness covers from the law to Moses or from Moses to Christ. The law to Christ. Jesus is the second witness. Matthew chapter 17 and verse number 1. Moses encapsulated the Old Testament. He encapsulated and captured the attention of the Hebrews, the children of Israel. So by the time of Christ, they're very fixated On the prominence of Moses. Moses is elevated in their mind. He is the first witness of illumination. When Christ comes, they have a difficulty looking beyond the veil of what they can only see. And understanding that there is one that is greater than Moses that is coming to them. And in Matthew chapter 17 and verse number 1, we get the second witness. After six days... Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them unto a high mountain, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed him, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face, and they were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. The Scripture said that his face was like the face of, Of an angel. It's definitely connected to the face of Moses in Exodus chapter 34. Not only is his face illuminated, but his clothing or his body is also illuminated. And this is a way of denoting this is one that has been in the presence of God. We read in our text verse that that veil that Moses would wear became a veil over the children of Israel. Their eyes, they, they couldn't see beyond it. They couldn't see that there was something greater that was coming. They could only see the law. They couldn't see past that veil. They were blinded by it. They could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. At some point, the law was going to be fulfilled by one that was greater than Moses. Moses by one that was greater than Abraham. This is why there were skirmishes between Jesus and the Pharisees so many times. They said to him, we have our father Abraham and who are you? And Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. The I am was in their presence and he was greater than Moses that came down from the mountain of Sinai. This was Jesus at Mount Transfiguration where Moses had to do with with the word, Jesus was the word that was made flesh. There was one that was greater, and he was bringing illumination, and he was shining as a reflection that the word of Yahweh that was spoken to Moses had now become like Moses and was in the midst of the people, and he was one that was greater than Moses. John is always saying in his gospel, there is one that is greater than Moses. In Mount Transfiguration, Moses, Moses, Moses and Elijah were there. And so they focused on them. But the one that was greater is Jesus. And so the word became flesh. God manifested his power and his ability. And he came and tabernacled among humanity. Praise God. He wasn't just a teacher. He was God manifested in the flesh. He wasn't just a good person. Praise God. He was the I am, that I am that spoke to Moses. From a burning bush, but now here he is in the flesh, and he's greater than Moses. He's the same God that spoke to Moses, and his name is Jesus, and he's tabernacled among the people. He's greater, he's greater. He came to fulfill that dark system, and he brought light to the world. Amen. Moses and Elijah represented. The impartation of the word and its covenant, but it's fulfilled in Jesus. The Jews murmured at this in John chapter 6 and verse 41. They said, He said, Jesus said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he saith, I am come down from heaven? Jesus said, murmur not among yourselves, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, amen, amen. I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am, I am that bread of life. Your Here it is, the distinction between Moses and Jesus. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. They strove among themselves and they said, how can this man give us flesh to eat? Jesus said, amen, amen, verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is meat indeed. And my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. So Jesus was saying there's something greater than that old system and that old uh, ceremonial law. There's something that is greater. You ate manna in the wilderness, but now before you is something that is greater than manna. And, And he could have taken the entire system. He could have said the tabernacle that was in the center of everything that you did. The tabernacle is no longer important. The temple is no longer what's important. What is important is I, Jesus Christ, am tabernacling in the midst of you. He could have taken every bit of the furniture, and he could have said, you had a candlestick, but now I am the light of the world. He could have said, you bring a sacrifice. I am the ultimate sacrifice. You had to find a lamb. I am the spotless lamb. Everything that was in that system, there is one that was greater in Jesus Christ. And so Moses is the first witness of how important the word of God is. Jesus is the second witness. His face is illuminated as he's bringing the presence of God into the world. And it is God manifested in the flesh. It is God in Christ. It is the word that has become flesh. It is the I am that is among them. And First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 puts it this way. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on the world, and received up into glory. The shining of the word is important and the shining of the word in Christ unveils the New Testament unveils a new covenant. I want you to know here tonight, I'm thankful that I'm not under the old covenant. I'm thankful I'm under the new covenant. I'm thankful that Jesus Christ is everything I need. He has fulfilled all of that. It's a type and it's a shadow, but ultimately, everything resides in Jesus. He is everything that I need, and we're preaching here tonight, that's what the world needs. We don't don't need another system. We don't need an Old Testament ceremonial law, but we need one that is able to forgive, wash, cleanse, renew. Calvary provides to us everything that we need and thank God for it. He's the second witness that introduces a new covenant. So Moses and his first witness is the importance of the Word of God and the representation of that Old Testament system. Jesus comes. He fulfills that. He is one that is greater than Moses, and there's an illumination and importance of it that ushers in a new covenant and a new testament, and Jesus is at the center of of that and the third witness then projects into eternity. You have you, you have the three principal primary parts theologically of the entire scripture captured in the shining face from Moses to Jesus and the third witness is Stephen in Acts chapter number 7. Stephen's speech in Acts 7 is the longest recorded in the book of Acts. It breaks theological ground for Paul's understanding of the gospel's relationship to the Old Testament. And it answers two charges that were brought against Stephen. Number one, it answers the charge that God has spoken outside of the temple. And two, the Jews have always rejected God's message, the men that have that are prophesied to them, and now they have rejected the Messiah. And so Stephen makes a defense and he makes a defense and his face is illuminated and he's making a defense and there is a man by the name of Saul that is standing there holding the coats of those that stone him. Stephen's message becomes the foundation for Paul's theology. And so Saul is standing there and he's in opposition, but what Stephen says Penetrates into his intellect and into his heart. And it becomes later when he has a conversion, it becomes part of his theology and his understanding. Don't ever think that just because of how a person is looking that the Word of God is not doing something in their life sometimes we can look on the outside and think there is nothing there is no response but you don't know what God is doing and how he's penetrating into a heart and life that's the power of the word it may look like somebody's standing there with coats and wants to stone you but the Word of God is powerful and is' able to penetrate into that hard life I would say to you. You you may have a brother, a sister, a family member, and you're trying to tell them about the goodness of God, and it, it feels like it's falling flat. Praise God. It's not falling flat because the Word of God is powerful, and so it does a work that you may not even see. So I'm just here to tell you, keep testifying, keep exhorting, keep speaking faith instead of doubt and fear. The world's full of all of that, but the, what the world needs is a, a spoken faith and a spoken word. And so Stephen, it's the longest speech, and he gets up, Acts chapter 6 and verse number 10, and he starts to give his defense. They were not able to resist the wisdom and spirit by which he spake. Then they suborned men which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. There it is again, the the veil in Acts after Christ, now the New Testament church, And the new covenant is moving, the church is moving forward. The word of God is being preached, but they trump up charges of blasphemous words against Moses. This is the veil that they can't see through. And they stirred up the people and the elders, and they caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses, and this was the charge against him. This man ceaseth ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place, This holy place would be the temple, Jerusalem, and more specifically, the temple and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place. They're talking about the temple. And shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. So the veil that is before them specifically has to do with the temple, has to do with the customs, has to do with the old ceremonial law. Jesus has already brought the second witness. They rejected him. The church is starting to expand. Stephen is the third witness. And in verse number 15 of Acts chapter 6, it says that all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. So he is the third witness in Scripture of a shining importance. And so they brought him and they asked him to give his defense. Acts chapter 7 is a great history of, of everything from the very beginning. He goes through the entire history of being brought out of the Chaldeans, Abraham, sojourning in a land, pursuing an inheritance, walking in that land, having children, Isaac, Jacob, and then the 12 patriarchs. He goes through the patriarchs, selling Joseph Into Egypt. He talks about the famine that is in the land, and then the children of Israel end up in Egypt. When they're in Egypt, there's a Pharaoh that arises, and then they become enslaved. He goes through the entire history of all of that. Moses comes on the scene, he acknowledges the leadership of Moses. God uses him, brings them out, and they set up the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness everything that Moses had established. Our fathers that came after, brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. He talks about the kingship, he talks about David, and then he talks about Solomon. It is at this point, because this is all about the temple and it's about the customs, it is at this point that things dramatically change when in verse 47 Stephen says but Solomon built him an house how be it the most high dwelleth not in temples made with hands as saith the prophet heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool what house will you build me saith the lord or what is the place of my rest hath not my hands made all these things you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears you always resist the holy ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. When he says this, they are cut to the heart. They gnashed, I love to say it that way. They gnashed, or they ganashed him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, sees the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and authority and power, and they stoned him. The thing that made them so upset, is that Stephen was the witness that said the power of the Holy Ghost cannot be contained in a temple. And so in the Old Testament, you have Moses who gives to us the shining of importance about the word of God. In Jesus, we get the fulfillment of Moses' ministry as God manifested in the flesh, and he starts a New Testament In Stephen, we see the power of an early church preaching a message, and the message is this. The Holy Ghost is given to everybody that wants to receive it because it is a gift. It is not contained in a building. Thank God for a nice building, but you don't need a building to receive the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is poured out to everybody. It's not in a temple. It's not in a tabernacle. It's not in a building. It's in you. The Holy Ghost is poured out in you. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Stephen was saying there's a new thing that has happened. There's a new birth experience. You need to repent of your sins. Be baptized in Jesus' name. And the Holy Ghost will come into your life and will fill you. This is an illumination. This is a power. is the third witness and the third witness is a new birth experience and a powerful church that extends to eternity Praise God so they're encapsulated in three witnesses is really the whole theology of the entire Bible and so therefore you have a Bible study at your disposal by three shining faces Moses, Jesus, Stephen. In Moses, it's the Old Testament, it's the law, it's the importance of the Word. In Jesus, it's Christological. In Jesus, we're not talking, we're talking about a Christological claim that Jesus is God. God manifested in the flesh, the Word became flesh. Why is that significant and important? Because He is the I Am. And he becomes the testator. It's his authority, his ability. He's the only one that has the authority to establish a church. And he dies. Calvary is important. He establishes through his death, burial, and resurrection. He establishes a new birth experience that we identify by repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, which becomes a new covenant and a new testament, and that is the church. And ladies and gentlemen, we are a part of the church and that third witness is still a witness, and it goes to eternity. Praise God. And it will continue to go through an eternity. We are far removed from the first century, but you come too late to tell me that that was just for then and it's not for now. The Holy Ghost is for every generation, and will it, it will extend until he comes. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know what the world needs? The world needs an illumination of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God on the inside that empowers and gives strength and illumination in a very, very confused world. I'm thankful for a new birth experience. I'm thankful for the power of the Holy Ghost. There should be no veiling and no masking, but there should be a shamefacedness in our life that says what illuminates me, what brings light?" to me is the infusion of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. I don't have to carry a a facade around. I don't have to put a facade on. It's the Holy Ghost in my life that is illuminating itself on the outside. You need to let the Holy Ghost enlighten your world and everybody around you. The church should be made up of people filled with the Holy Ghost. The world is full of all kinds of other junk and confusion. But a child of God should be full of the Holy Ghost. You should be full of faith, full of love, full of the peace of God, full of joy unspeakable and full of glory. We have no business walking around with anger and clamor and evil speaking. We should be a child of God, full of the Holy Ghost, bringing ministry to a world. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Now, in conclusion here tonight, there should be no veiling or masking, but there should be an open face to a world with the Holy Ghost operating in us. You believe that? Amen. Do you believe that because of what people, you don't have to say words sometimes. They'll ask you, what is what is unique about you? And that's the Holy Ghost doing a, a ministerial work. Praise God. That's important. That is important. That's important to, to, to everything that we do on this piece of property. When, when parents bring their kids into our daycare, which is a primarily a business, but it's not just a business. There are, there's a staff that have a burden for parents that come in and they come in from a lot a lot of different backgrounds and so our, it's important staff that you are full of the Holy Ghost I, I know sometimes you, you could you know you could be upset about various things but, but people coming in I believe people can feel that spirit and that anointing they, they feel that Hello hello are you're you hearing what I'm saying here one of the greatest stories that is really cool, Sister Debbie Condren is, is working in a NICU unit, and there's a family that, that didn't want the chaplain to pray for their baby. They wanted Sister Debbie Condren to pray for the baby. And so she called me, and she said, I don't know if I did the right thing or not, but they didn't want the chaplain to pray, and so they they, rec- well, they recognized something. She said, so I, I just I prayed. Is that okay? Absolutely, it's okay. We should be doing that kind of stuff. That wasn't much of a response there, so did I cross some of your theological understandings? That woman should be praying in hospitals. You say, well, I I don't know about that. I don't know about that. She should have called the preacher. I, I don't know who they are. They didn't see my light. They saw her light. They saw the anointing of God in her. They didn't see me. And so what they felt is we feel something in you. We want you to pray because we feel the anointing of God. That's the illumination of the spirit of God. And if that's in operation in your life, you should pray with people. You should testify to people. You should encourage people everywhere you are. Praise God. Sister Debbie Connor, I authorize you to walk down Memorial Hall and pray for that entire hospital. Praise God. Let the Holy Ghost permeate the entire building. Thank God that there's an apostolic nurse that's in the hospital and the anointing of God is in her life. Amen. Praise God. So, everything that I've said to this point is like, would be the theological underpinnings for the hermeneutical understanding. And hermeneutics is simply the science of applying the scriptures. So, th- this would be the underpinning of everything that. That becomes the hermeneutics in terms of practical application to how the world perceives us. I'm 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 finished here, but I'm just I'm going to throw this here right at the end. The practical application of the theological understanding. Right. So if, if you only just take the practical stuff and it's got no underpinnings, we would undermine what we've said here tonight about the word of God being important. There's three witnesses where there's a shining importance And they're established all through Scripture. That becomes the underpinning then to apply it to our life and how we are perceived by the world. And therefore, there should be no veiling or masking, but as the Scripture says in 1 Peter, a shamefacedness. The makeup of the church should be spirit-driven, not cosmetological The makeup of the church should be spirit-driven because it's the Holy Ghost that's illuminating in your life. You shouldn't have to put anything over it to cover it. Because then you're masking just like Moses had to put a veil on his face. And, and Jesus said, I, I've come to bring something greater. And Stephen said, there's a new birth experience and the Holy Ghost on the inside that illuminates an individual in terms of how they are introduced to a world. This is why the makeup of the church is spirit-driven. We do believe in makeup. And the makeup that we believe is that it should be spirit-driven, not worldly cosmetological driven. I don't need to put something over it. I need to expose it to a world that recognizes there's something different about you. It's the anointing of God. This becomes a a conviction and a standard. This is one of the reasons why we, we don't use cosmetics. Whatever we use is to enhance what is already there. Be very, very careful with some things that you put on, whether it's nail, hair, face. If, if it masks... What is naturally there, you're masking something that should not be there because the Holy Ghost should be the illumination. I believe that. I absolutely. I know this is not popular, but let me tell you, there is a history of cosmetology and it's not a good history. It's not a good history. Why, why go that direction and cover some things up that the Holy Ghost in your life doesn't need? You don't need it. You do not need it. Praise God because the Holy Ghost in You is the shamefacedness that God is looking for, both on women and on men. I know it pertains, shamefacedness pertains to women, like women also, but it also nowadays pertains to men. You don't need to put something on your face that covers or masks. Let the Holy Ghost breathe through you. Amen. This Bible study. This Bible study night I've spent most of the time. Now, the, the next thing could be another whole lesson, which would be just on the application. And the application could cover a lot of different things from what we put in our hair to what we put on our skin, to what we put on our nails. If it's not what is what is natural, natural to us, then we shouldn't utilize it because of everything that we've just said here. And then in order to be consistent, it's better just to let the Holy Ghost do the entire work rather than messing with the hair but not the face, the nails but not the face, and then you get all kinds of of different variations. I I know this is not popular nowadays, but I believe a world's looking for an apostolic church that it's authentic and real, and the Holy Ghost is flowing through them. Amen. When, when my next door neighbor comes out to talk to me and apologizes because she hasn't had a chance to put her makeup on first, there is a definite problem there. Uh, it's okay, sis. I would rather see you just like you are than to see what you come out with when you put all that other stuff on. Because I don't know what's driving you. It doesn't help you look any better. You look better like you are. I'm sorry. There's no need to apologize. Don't apologize to me. The Holy Ghost should be the illumination. Praise God. That should be what is reflective in your life. Don't put a veil over it. Moses, they they couldn't see beyond anything because there was a veil there. Moses covered the glory of God in that dark system back there. Jesus came and said, we don't need that anymore, and he tore the veil in the temple from the top to the bottom so there was an easy access into the Holy of Holies. Let the Holy Ghost illuminate your life. Yeah, but I work on a job where looks are important. I guarantee you if you trust God and you believe in God... There is a power that flows to you that somebody on the job is not going to look at you in a limited way but is going to be appreciative that you're a real person I, I need to do this because I'm in real estate or I'm in finance or I'm in- no, you don't, no, you don't, just trust God, but I may lose my job. If you lose your job over that, God's going to open up a door that's better because he's going to appreciate the conviction that you've got in your life to stand up for something that is valuable called the Holy Ghost got and so that's the hermeneutic understanding of the underpinnings of everything that we've said and every once in a while it's just needful to talk about those things in a church because every once in a while someone will say well I thought this was okay nobody's ever said anything it's been a long time so every once in a while you have to, you, you have to touch on that just so that people know we still believe that the Holy Ghost should be the shining importance in terms of how we present ourselves to the World. And we shouldn't be ashamed of that. If you're here and that's not your understanding, that's okay. This is just the teaching that we preach and teach in this church, and we try to maintain that because we want an apostolic church. And there's a difference between an apostolic church and other churches. We want to be an apostolic church with some convictions. We're not saying that other people don't have anything in God. Don't ever make that mistake. I know I'm going long here, but this is really good stuff. Don't ever make the mistake just because somebody's not exactly like you, that God hasn't done things in their life or that they have value in their spirituality. They do. Cornelius did. He was a devout man, paid his tithes, gave alms. He was honored of God. God did great things in his life don't devalue what cornelius had in his life right there's there's some devout people that believe God and have faith in God that's okay we're not, we're not downplaying them. We're just saying, we think, Cornelius, there's a little more. You need somebody to come your way and tell you that there is a power, there's a new birth experience. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name. You need the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Priscilla and Aquila, you are well, you're knowledgeable, you understand the scripture, but you need the way of God exp- explained more Perfectly. You don't bash somebody over the head. You know, hit them hard. The first first thing that, and they just hammer them. Develop a relationship with. It. Find out. How far they've come and what, what's God, what, what God is doing in their life. And then direct them into something that is greater. I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost is worth, if you got the Holy Ghost, it's worth having. And if you know somebody that doesn't have the Holy Ghost, you need to say, you know what, God's done great things in your life. But I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost is a gift and it's powerful and it's worth pursuing and it's worth seeking. God Now, I, I don't want to go down a big long laundry list. This could be a whole nother lesson. And we, we don't want to go there. We just want to understand that the Holy Ghost operating in our life is the shining importance. So what I put on my nails should accent only what is natural. Be careful going some places. I put this on my nails. I thought it was okay. It was purple. Well, they said it was clear. Yeah, but those people that think that clear is clear could be pink, fuchsia, purple right when you got white stuff on your toenails that's not <laughs> that's not natural <laughs> that looks like white tips what is that okay now, some of you know better, right? So, some people here are like, man, this is the first time I've ever heard anything like this. This is fascinating. This is interesting. Some of you do it, and you know better. Stop it. Stop it. It, it, it creates confusion because if we're, if we're all in this thing together, this is, this is what we believe and what we teach. So, well, so what I put on my nail, what I put on my face, you don't need a bunch of pancake on your face. Save that for breakfast put that on your face? You don't need that. The Holy Ghost is operating in your life. Why do you need that? Man, I'm telling you, of late, it must be a fashion thing, but I've seen people with some big eyelashes. I saw a gal the other day, I thought for sure with caterpillars. I mean, it's like, what in the world? She batted her eyes fast enough, I was for sure she was helicoptering out of the store. <laughs> I mean, if you were in the world and you were dating somebody, I would feel very, very sorry for you because you might know, not know what you get in the morning when all that stuff comes off. It's like, man, I went... <clears throat> I thought it was a ten last night, but it's a two this morning. What in the world? What in the world? What in the world happened? <laughs> let, let the Holy Ghost operate in your life. And and don't, don't put stuff in your hair that ends up looking like strawberry everybody knows that's not real right or don't you're sixty years old how is it that you've got one little strand of gray right there you know there's 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 a principle there why is it that, that our world is so geeked out on youth and they're so vain that we can't even we can't even mature to where you've got stages of life, at some point you're going to be a grandma. Embrace it. Be the most beautiful grandma that you can be. (laughs) Carry it with dignity and style and put a little sass in it and say, I better be careful. I'm going to get in trouble here. But right their stages in life and God intended it for the for it to be that way. Have you ever seen those people walking down the mall and you're not sure what is going on there because mom is competing with a 16-year-old daughter? That's not healthy. A 16-year-old daughter needs a mom or a grandma. Thank God for grandmothers and grandpas. Thank God for faithful elders. Praise God. Man, we need to crash land this. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. I want you to know tonight you are beautiful. You are beautiful.